Gracious, gracious God, we thank you that we can come to you. We can call you Father because of Jesus who became flesh, who took on sin, and who died in my place. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done to bring us to the Father so that we can call him just as you do, Father and friend. Lord, we ask this morning, would you be glorified in um, this time? Would you speak through your word to do your good work? We're gathered, uh, be honored here now. This is what we ask in Christ's name, amen. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Just Do Something, love the title of that book, by the way, he quotes a conventional Christian approach to following the will of God. He says this, here's the conventional approach. God's will defines a specific pathway that we should follow into the future. God knows what this pathway is, and he has laid it out for us to follow. Our responsibility is to discover this pathway called God's plan for our lives. We must discover which of the many pathways we could follow is the one that we should follow, the one that God has planned for us. If and when we make the right choice, we will receive his favor. We will fulfill our divine destiny, and we will succeed in life. By the way, I would argue that that is the thesis of just about every Disney movie I've ever seen. If we choose rightly, we will experience his blessing and achieve success and happiness. If we choose wrongly, we may lose our way. We may miss God's will for our lives. We won't get the girl. Sorry, I just threw that in there. And we will remain lost forever in an incomprehensible maze. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you ever heard anything like that before? Have you ever thought anything sort of like that before? Have you ever struggled with that thinking as an undergirding, maybe not even aware that, okay, I've got to figure out exactly what the right thing is, or I'm doomed, it'll all fall apart, I won't end up in God's perfect will for my life? Well, Kevin DeYoung goes on to say that um, this approach is fraught with some major problems. He says, this can be bad for your life, harmful to your sanctification, uh, that is growing in Christ-likeness or growing in being more like God has designed you to be. And it can allow too many Christians to be passive tinkerers who strangely feel more spiritual the less that they actually do. He says, God is not a magic eight ball that we shake up and we peer into whenever we have a decision to make. He is a good God who gives us wisdom, who shows us the way of obedience, and who invites us to take risks for him. How's that? for a sweet way to think about the discovery of the will of God. I'll, I'll leave it to you to read the rest of his book if you'd like to. But in summary, pointing towards the rest of his book, he says this, the better way is to seek first the kingdom of God, to know the Lord more deeply. He doesn't say that explicitly, but that's my translation, to know the Lord more deeply, and then trust that he will take care of our needs even before we know what they are or where we're supposed to be going. Praise God for that. We come to the end of Exodus chapter 13 today. If you've ever in your life struggled with direction, or you think that maybe one day again you just might, well then let these few verses at the close of Exodus 13 encourage you. If you've ever worried or wondered about whether the Lord cares or notices in the midst of your daily struggles, and you wrestle mightily knowing, am I even doing the right thing? Then let these few verses at the close of Exodus 13 encourage you. 
If you've ever been told that you are maybe just crazy to even want a better world than this, let these few verses at the close of Exodus 13 encourage you. Or let them encourage you if this morning you just want to revel again in the character of God. Ten wonders that Yahweh has done in the nation of Egypt in calling His people out in rescuing them. That's where we are here the end of Exodus 13, at the end of those ten wonders in the land and in the skies and in the waters. Ten wonders with frogs and flies and blood and gnats and hail and fire, all culminating in the death of the firstborn on the night that we know of as the Passover. His people, finally, finally, after much hardness of heart, many long years of slavery and oppression, will set out from Egypt 430 years after the promise was first given that it would happen. They really, at this point, have no experience. They have no plan. They have almost no direction. But the Lord is with them. And he says, I know the way. Exodus 13, pick up with me in verse 17. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Sukkot and camped in Etam at the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light. By the way, did you notice that rhymes in English? I just dig that. A pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. This morning, first Let's notice, the Lord guides His children with perfect wisdom. The Lord guides His children with perfect wisdom. Even so much so that He can then lead them on paths that they do not know, but paths that He knows. I want you to see the care that He takes in the leading of the nation at this point. Four ways that the care of God in His leading are demonstrated and they show His perfect wisdom. It is first successful. First, his leading is successful. It accomplishes his good purpose for them. Where do we see that? Look again, verse 17. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go, you go, well, that doesn't seem like a very big deal. Yeah, unless you've been reading along from verse 1 in the book of Exodus, and you've known that in chapter 3 and in chapter 6 and in chapter 11, the exact same Hebrew word, spoken there as a promise, is now fulfilled. I will do this, and Pharaoh will let the people go. The word there for let go in the Hebrew, or set free, is a word that in other places is used for the emancipation of slaves in the Old Testament, and that's exactly what we've got here. Same word as the promise. And now, this is it. They've been waiting over four centuries, and even this latest group in the midst of this worst of their oppression and heaviest of their labor 
has been waiting, I don't know, some days, at least weeks. We know that as we walk through the narrative. As things get harder and harder, as their children are being thrown into the river to be killed and drowned, as they are being oppressed in multiple ways. As they go through all of these things, now finally, Pharaoh lets them out. His leading is successful. Just what he promised, he has now accomplished. Let's not miss out on that. Because brothers and sisters, there are many things today that you trust the Lord for, that he has promised that you will one day see. That doesn't mean everything that we trust God for is what he promises, but the things that he has promised, you will one day stand on the other side and you will say, this is just what he said he would do. Maybe in this lifetime, maybe in eternity with him, but you will stand there and see it with your own eyes and you will rejoice and say, he, he leads and guides with perfect wisdom and he accomplishes his good purpose. Second, notice his continual care his continual care. He doesn't abandon them to their own resources. You might think after all that he's done, it's like, okay, good. Y'all are set. Now have a great rest of your life, right? Notice this at the end of verse 18. Hence God led the people around. This is 18. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, whichever it is. And the sons of Israel went up and marshal away uh, from the land. Here's what I want you to see at the beginning of verse 18. Hence, God led the people. You go, um, yeah. yeah, duh. Isn't that kind of like what the whole passage is sort of about? Yeah, but, but, but don't miss where it is in the book and what it's doing. Don't take for granted what has just happened, Right? The Lord doesn't deliver his people from slavery and judgment and then, after all that work, abandoned them to wander around on their own, right? The Lord doesn't do miracles to rescue them out of the bondage of their oppression and then leave them to just kind of figure it out on their own. Y'all are good now, so I hope it goes great. I mean, just uh, don't bother praying to me or asking for anything else. Y'all got this from here. No, get it. The 10 plagues are over. They have plundered the Egyptians. They are walking out free at this moment. And then what does it say? Yahweh led his people. Christian, do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you? You do, don't you? Stones and hail and fire and swarms, those are nothing. Those literally are nothing. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't exaggeration. Literally, the Son of God becoming flesh, becoming sin, and dying in your place and my place if you have trusted Christ. That is, whoa, way more than any and every one of the ten plagues put together. So now, after all of that question, shall he now leave you to flounder? Do you place your trust in Christ And he rescues you from the sin that you can't overcome. Gives you a new life that you don't deserve. And then says, well, this has been fun. See you when you, you know, arrive at the pearly gates. No way. Because I'd never make it. I'd flounder. 
I'd be crushed. I'm clueless on my own. I am, I am like the Israelites going, okay, you leave me as a toddler in the wilderness. There are snakes and scorpions. And then there's this flesh that I deal with that, that overcomes my best desires, even in my best moments, every single day of my life. So shall he now leave you to flounder? No. Notice his continual care. God led the people. It's an entirely new work, not, not a rescue work, not a deliverance work, but the display of his wonder in a far more subtle, but yet no less powerful moving. And so it is with you and with me, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, because God gives his spirit now to live in you and to be with you and to guide and to convict and to empower and to create the ability to repent and to create the desire to rejoice. Romans 8.14 says, All those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What does that mean? If you placed your faith in Christ and you have been born again, words of Jesus, if you have been born again, then guess what? You are led by the Spirit of God, period. Even when you sin, even when you flail, even when you rebel and flounder and dishonor His name. Does that mean that God led you to do those things? No, it just means you're not following. But his spirit always leads. What a great encouragement is that is for us. It is the mark of being Christ's. It is one of the job descriptions of the spirit that he would come to guide us into all truth, to teach us the things that we do not yet understand and to lead us in the way. And so as we're going to read in this passage, we're going to have this thought, okay, this is cool. I wish, I wish I had this deal that they had, right? Then it would be easy. I wake up every morning and there's a big cloud and we go, I don't know, honey, what do you think? Should we go that way? That would be nice. Every night I go to bed and there's a pillar of fire standing guard over me to demonstrate his presence. And I think, boy, that would be nice. But you know what Christ says? He says, it's even better if I go away because then I will send to you the helper, the spirit who has been with you, but he will be in you. And he says, that is better by far. Huh. Yeah, it's not as visible, but it's far more powerful to have the spirit of God leading us, wooing us, drawing us, healing us, convicting us and helping us. His continual care because the Lord guides his children with perfect wisdom. Third thing to notice about his leading is that it's knowledgeable. It's not just successful. It's not just continual in his care, but it's knowledgeable. He knows all of their future and current dangers and needs. All the ones that they're aware of, he knows. And the ones that they have no clue of, he knows. Now his ways are sometimes hidden to us. But nothing about us or our future or possibility or dangers or needs are hidden from him. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Okay, I guess that's a way. And that's the title of it. In fact, it is the way of the land of the Philistines. And here's the, the, the reason why that's a kind of a puzzler. Even though that way was near. We have records of ancient armies that uh, travel the Via Maris. This is a parallel highway that goes along from Egypt up to the land of Canaan. 
uh, the Via Maris uh, will get you to the promised land uh, with a large army uh, by one account in about 10 days, a little less than two weeks, even if you're traveling with the entire nation of Israel. That would have been great. They could have cut out about, you know, 39 years and 50 weeks in, in getting to the promised land, right? But even though it was near, the Lord didn't lead them that way. And then it says why. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and they may return to Egypt. You see, uh, in the northeast eastern area of its territory, uh, Egypt had in this day set up martial outposts. That was largely to guard against the Syrians or the Canaanites coming uh, unwanted, either by way of attack or spying out or in any other way that they just didn't want their influence. So the Egyptians set up their own military outposts in these regions. And if the Israelites go that way, they'll cross these outposts. In addition to that, it mentions the way of the Philistines. It's likely that the Philistine nation, which will eventually harass the Israelites for a few centuries, is probably not at its zenith at the point of the Exodus, but there are Philistines in the land. The bottom line is the Lord knows the details, and he knows these are not a group of people trained for war, or even prepared for it, or even clued in enough to know their left hand from their right. And if they face any kind of obstacle like this, that I have not planned for them, they'll turn back. The word there, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. The Hebrew word for change their minds is the one that the New Testament in the Greek uses for what we translate as repent. The people might see battle and repent. This is a bad repent. It's a turning away from God's way to their own thinking. And so you know what God does? He says, I won't even allow them to come to that temptation. I won't even bring them to the place where they even have to make that decision. He knows that they would see danger and they would shriek and flee like little girls. Apologies to all little girls. We have some and I love them. The point is that the people are protected in ways that they don't even know. It's not like the Lord counsels with Moses and says, hmm, I don't know. How do you think people are doing? Do you think they're ready for a big fight? You know, golly, the more I think about it. No, he didn't tell Moses. He didn't reveal. He just, boom, there it is. So do you know that as his children, that the Lord every day, if you have trusted in Christ, is by his spirit inclined to guide you from hardships and difficulties that you are not even aware of. You are protected in ways you don't even know of. I wonder if the first half million years of eternity will just be God showing us, oh yeah, by the way, here's what didn't happen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord God. And see what that does for us today if we're seeking the, the will of God. If the Lord is good enough to guide our path sovereignly away from those things that he has not ordained, which he knows are, are not his purpose for us. How good is he then to guide us in the path of what his will is when we ask? Is the Lord not infinitely more committed to his leading of you than we are to our following of him? What a great encouragement. Fourth and finally, the Lord guides his children with perfect wisdom. Notice that his leading is impeccable. 
It's impeccable. He guides with eternal purpose and inscrutable wisdom. Again, 17, he did not lead the people by the way of the land of the Philistines. I've called it the Via Maris. It's uh, from what I've read, my understanding of what that highway was often uh, known as in many different civilizations in the ancient Near East. The, the, the Via Maris, it is said, is about 12 kilometers wide. If you had like, I don't know, one or two million people-ish that you had to lead on a couple week journey, don't you think that would be a good path? I mean, seven miles wide is a good way to get a lot of people anywhere. I mean, anybody's natural thinking is this is the best way. But God has eternal purpose and impeccable wisdom. And he says, no, I won't lead them on the destructive path the Via Maris, the Broadway, and now you hear the words of Jesus, right? To the wide gate, to the easy road, to the one that everybody would expect. No, I will call them to the narrow path and to the narrow gate, the one that is fraught with different difficulties, but those in which I will be with them because I know the way that they must go. It is inscrutable, his wisdom. It is perfect, his understanding. And here the, the veil is pulled back just a little bit and we get a peek into the eternal purposes of what God is doing with the nation of Israel. Quite often, we don't get that with our own lives, but he allows us to see it here so that we should know he would do no less with each and every one of his children, right? So we take great courage. What do we do with the fact that his leading is impeccable? You might jot down Isaiah 26 verses Three and four, speaking to the Lord on behalf of the Lord, Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. Oh, Yahweh, you keep perfect peace, perfect restfulness in the heart and the spirit of the one who just says, Lord, I don't know. This looked like a great way. I don't know why you've closed that door. Or Lord, I'm just clueless. I have no idea what you are doing here. But I know as my mind is set on you, as I rehearse the reality that your wisdom is inscrutable, that I can fix my hope in you, and then I am at peace, Isaiah says. But I, but I just don't know what he's doing, we complain. Right, you don't. Whoever said that he would tell you? Since when are you omniscient? God said, I'm omniscient. That's all you need to know. I know the way. That literally is all you need to know, he says. So can we trust him? Today, friend, are you trusting him? If you're here this morning, you've never come to that place where you've understood that God is a good father who doesn't hold out his will for your life as something that you get to fight your way through and try and discover through some mystical, crazy, I don't know, means. But he says, look, just know me and I will reveal myself to you. I will wash you of your sin. I gave my son to die for you. And after redeeming you, I will give you my spirit to walk with you if you would but trust me. If you're here this morning and you've never thought about trusting him, well, I hope, we hope you this morning would see how trustworthy he is because he guides his children with perfect wisdom. If you are here this morning, brother or sister, and you do know Christ, then I would encourage you two things. If you're at that crossroads, 
If you're at a point of wrestling, two things that you might do to apply these. First is you might just make the commitment this week to just thank Him. And you go, well, that seems pretty simple. Yeah, but our eyes, when we get focused on the decision, on the what-ifs, on the pros and cons, and all the other things that, yes, wisdom and discernment require us to use our God-given brains, yet at the same time, those can become idols. They become so big in our minds that we forget to just go, you know what? He is leading. He does know. His way is perfect, and He desires my best far more even than I want it. So, Lord God, thank you today even for what I don't know and I don't see because you are at work, because of Christ, because you've, co you've covenanted with me, you've committed to me. Again, Romans 8. That's what it means to be a child of God is that a spirit leads. And then, and then you might take that idea of thanking him and just walk through each of these four points that we just see here in, these pa in this passage and thank him for each of these as you go. Lord, thank you that you do accomplish your good purpose for me. Today, I will rest in that. Lord, thank you that you do care continually. Thank you, Lord, that you know all future dangers and needs and all current ones. And Lord, thank you that you guide with inscrutable wisdom. First notice from our passage today that the Lord guides his children with perfect wisdom. Second, second this morning, take courage in the fact that the Lord is constant in his promise he is constant in his promise. What happens here now seems a little weird um, because it goes back to something that has been waiting for, well, almost four centuries. And it finally gets closed up here. It has to do with Joseph. And it's an ancient promise that is now about to be brought to fruition. And it points to the living hope that the nation has had all these years. Verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he, that is Joseph, Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones from here with you. The NAS that I'm reading from says God will surely take care of you. But the literal word is God will visit you. And I like that translation better for a number of reasons. Because the point is God is going to do something new in that day. Joseph had told them before he died. You see, what has happened here? Is the people in Israel, do you think they've ever heard of Joseph before? They're like, jo, jo who? Joseph. They knew him well. They knew his story, and his story was a great hope and encouragement to them. And in fact, his embalmed body was there in the land of Goshen for some 360 years at this point. I know the passage here says bones, but uh, Genesis 50 says that they, they did the Egypt burial thing because that's where he died and they embalmed him. And Joseph's life had always been a pointer to God's promise, has always been a pointer, which was meant to be for them a living hope, no matter how bad it got. And part of that pointer was the very life of Joseph, Joseph himself, which I will very quickly give you because I think it helps us see what every good ancient Israelite would understand at this point. God's constancy had formed Joseph into a man who was settled in his hope. Joseph's life was constantly one where he anticipated a better home, right? I mean, think about what you know of the story of Joseph. He was betrayed by his 11 brothers, Bad enough if you've got one brother and they do you wrong. 
but all 11 selling you into slavery, leaving you for dead. He was confined to a pit. He was sold into slavery. He was taken to a strange land. There, after a time, he was wrongfully condemned when he hadn't done anything wrong. He was tossed into prison. Then after a number of promises that didn't come to fruition, he was left in prison. And you know what happens at the end of all of that? In time, he ends up being the second most powerful man in all of the Mediterranean world. And you know what? Even then, he still longs for a better home. I mean, the guy lives in the courts of Pharaoh. The guy can pretty much have anything he wants. He can stamp it with Pharaoh's ring and say, hey, could you bring a couple Lamborghinis? And uh, by the way, let's get some NBA teams to play basketball in the, you know, in the royal court because I think I'd like to watch that tonight. Like just whatever he might want, I would suppose. But he says, no, this isn't it. This is, this is not at all what my hope is. None of this. I'm, I'm waiting for a better home. Genesis 50 recounts Jacob's last days, Joseph's father. And when Jacob dies, he's buried. Abraham was buried in the promised land. Isaac was buried in the promised land. But Jacob dies in Egypt. But you know what Joseph does? He gets leave from the Pharaoh at the time. And he takes Jacob's bones up and buries Jacob in the promised land. Now, Joseph lives out the rest of his life. And there he is in Egypt. And he knows he's going to die in his very last days. And right before he dies, here's what he says. Genesis 50, 24 and 25. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely visit you. And bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones up from here. That is what the author of Exodus quotes in 319. Here's the point. Joseph has lived a life where he has experienced Yahweh's unwavering faithfulness at every turn and at every difficulty. He has been led of God, if anybody has. He knows the Lord is constant in his promises. And so he sets as the climactic event of his life, the preparation for his death, that, that his very death and his very body would point to the eternal promises. Not often do you see a carcass being an indication of eternal hope, but that's exactly what Joseph's will be. His body becomes a symbol of a living hope for 360 years, pointing to the ancient promise that was made to all the patriarchs forward to the day when they would come out. And now, this is the day. And Moses says, and we've been waiting for this parade. <laughs> How exciting. My grandparents and great-grandparents had hoped that maybe their generation would be the one, but we get to be the one to go and gather Joseph's coffin and take him. I wish we had more time to talk about three things that Joseph has done here, how he has proclaimed the promise that would come even in a day when it could not be seen. Oh man, I wish I could be a Joseph. How he has revoked his own rights to worldly honor, all for the purpose of giving his dead body as a living symbol for the sake of the generations that would live on after him. Love the story of Joseph, but we're not preaching Genesis 50 today. Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11 will go one step further and pick up with the work of Joseph and say that he was one of those 
who by his actions confessed that he was a stranger and an exile on the earth and that he was seeking a better country that God has prepared. You get what that means? When Joseph died, he left his body lying around because he was pointing to the living hope of the fact that the nation would one day make it back to the promised land. But you see what the author of Hebrews does with this reality inspired by the Spirit? He goes, Joseph's hope ain't in Canaan. It's not in a little strip of dirt alongside the Mediterranean Sea that has come to be called Palestine. His hope is in a future home because he's a stranger in an exile here on the earth. And Joseph is saying to the people, the Lord is constant in his promise. In all of your pursuit of God's direction, when you come to tough decisions, I think one takeaway from this is to resolve, Lord, help me to seek a better home. Whatever you do, whether it's this or that or a third option I've never even thought of. Lord, you have made me a stranger and an exile here. This is not my home. Because you will never regret having sought the distant land. You will never regret having resolved yourself to say, Lord God, I will sacrifice anything so long as you let me walk in the ancient hope with a clear conscience. Oh Lord God, do that for me. And that's all that matters. Because God, your Savior, is constant in his promise. Third and finally this morning, notice that the Lord is ever present in his light. He is ever present in his light. For 40 years as they will wander on trackless paths through the wilderness that they have not known, there will never be an hour when the Lord is not with them. Verse 20. Then they set out from Sukkot and camped in Etam on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Day and night he was always there, visible. One commentator has said, and I love this phrasing, the Lord's leading at this stage in the infancy of the, of the nation of his people, it is unmissable, Right? I mean, sure, if like Kevin and his family and that part of that tribe wants to wander off in the opposite direction that the pillar of cloud is is leading, I guess they could do that. How good he is to know how much we are so often in our our infancy that he knows how to make his leading unmissable. So the brother... And sister in Christ, if you've searched your heart and you're earnestly seeking the will of God and he has not yet shown you what it is, then chances are exceedingly good that that is the will of God for you in that moment. Because he knows how to make it eminently unmissable. In time, they are going to learn how tender Yahweh is in his leading. In time, they are going to learn how stern and how strong and how firm at times his leading is. But, but for now, they, they don't yet know that. If I had to use an analogy, you know how difficult it, it is or you could imagine for a person after they get out of prison 
and they've spent 40 years there. Every day they're told what to do and when to eat and where to go and where not to go, right? They have almost no decisions. And they get out and they're free and it's like, wow, I can do anything. And sadly, often because of bad habits or bad relationships or just through the pure ignorance of not knowing how to go the next step, they find themselves back in the only life they've ever known, right? The Lord does not do that. He delivers us from our prison, from our bondage, from our slavery to our sin. And he says, I have such a better way for you. And I know the way. And I will be ever present with you. There will never be an hour that you are out of my sight. For the Israelites, there was always a witness. There was always direction. There was always revelation. Did he answer every question they ever asked him? No way. Lord, I, I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, Miriam is uh, really interested in Abinadab, and I'm not sure that that's a good relationship. What should we do with Miriam and Abinadab, this suitor? Burning fire, burning fire, burning fire, burning fire. I mean, that was his answer, right? But there was always a direction and presence, and in time he would lead them. And so today, so today he gives his word and he gives his spirit. He gives the counsel of his people and he gives the wisdom of the sages who have walked with Christ and gone before us and written down for us to learn from them. The Lord is ever present in his light. So what does that mean for me and for you? Well, simply put, never walk alone. Never walk alone. If you do, it's because you've chosen to. Don't walk in darkness. Christ says to the people in his day who were gathered around him, hearing him teach on the side of the road, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, Lord, you are the light. That is what I am to do. It's not that you are going to wrap my knuckles with a yardstick if I don't get it perfectly right and I haven't you know, divined the will of God. No, it's, it's to walk with you and have your lights. And then you lead me. John 12, 35, Jesus again told those who were with him in that day for a little while, you have the light among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. Walk while you have the light. Are we called to wait on God? Absolutely. But I think this is in fact where Kevin DeYoung got the name for his book, Just Do Something. So often the, the waiting on God can become an excuse for laziness and, and um, just doing nothing. And so here the Lord Jesus calls to us. He says, I have given you light for the path for the next step in front of you. Maybe not where it's going to end, but for the next step for what you need to know today. So walk while you have the light. What a beautiful way to continually grow in our trust and exercising our faith in a good Savior who says, take this step. Part of God's purpose in us being at a crossroads is so that ultimately, not so much that we maybe even make the right decision, but so that we get to know Him. How often is the best way for God to get your attention is for you to come to a decision you can't make. And suddenly you find yourself going, okay, Lord, I'm just so done. You can have anything. You can have all of me. And I'm so ready for whatever you want. And he's good to say, well, let, you, let me give you more of my light then. Christian, this morning, are you getting to know him? 
especially if you are in the midst of a difficult decision. Are you getting to know him? Because that is a clear command. And remember this morning and be encouraged. He says, I know the way. Galatians 5.25, we'll close with this. Paul says there, if you live by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. The word there for walk by the Spirit has the idea of keep in step with the Spirit. That is, that is good pursuit to resolve ourselves to. Lord, I resolve today as often as your Spirit prompts my conscience to respond to you in obedience. Help me do that because that's what I want. I just want to keep in step. And if you find that you don't, then you just simply confess, I didn't, and then say, fill me and help me again. I don't want to grieve your Spirit. But His light is ever-present for you. Maybe you're at a crossroads this morning. Maybe you have a decision. Ask the question, am I in step with the Spirit today? If not, just ask for His leading. And then obey what you know, the light that you have. Rejoice in the fact that you are His. And trust the fact that He is working in you to help you get to know Him better. This week, brothers and sisters, let us revel in the character of God once again. And know that He is the one who says, I know the way. Stand with me and let's close together in prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you so much for your mercies towards us in that you have done so very much. You, Father, have sacrificed so much, giving your own perfect Son to die for our sin so that we could be forgiven and know you. And yet, and yet that wasn't all. Now you give us the Holy Spirit to live in us and guide us moment by moment. Father in heaven, we just want to tell you today, thank you because you know the way. Lord, no matter what uh, the seas ahead of us may look like personally or culturally or in any other way, we just want to rejoice and say, oh, great God, you know the way. Thank you that you do. Holy Spirit, we ask have room this week to prompt us, to guide us, to convict us, to comfort us, to empower us and to help us. We love you and we worship you and we thank you for these good truths. We ask now that you would help us to sing to your glory and to give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.